Thank you for joining us on Feed the Crew. If you haven't already, please subscribe and follow us on Facebook or Instagram. If you have any feedback, if you'd like to be a guest or suggest a topic, go to our website, feedthecrewpodcast.com. If you love the show and want to support us, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash feed the crew. Thank you for joining us on Feed the Crew. If you haven't already, please subscribe and follow us on Facebook or Instagram. If you have any feedback, if you'd like to be a guest or suggest a topic, go to our website, feedthecrewpodcast.com. If you love the show and want to support us, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash feed the crew. Today, Madeline's co-hosting with me, and we're talking to Judy Malone-Stein, the wardrobe supervisor at Houston Grand Opera and business agent for IATSE Local 896. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Judy. It's great to have you with us. Uh, For our listeners, would you tell us who you are, a little bit about what you do, where you're from? Um, I was raised just a country girl in East Texas, but uh, I moved to Houston, Texas, to go to college in 68. And uh, I've been here ever since with the exception of one year in, in New York City. But uh, that wasn't in theater. It was uh, fighting the revolution <laughs> in, the, in the early 70s with the National oh. Guild. Yeah. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, so then I came back to Houston, got married, uh, had a kid and uh, did the corporate gig for probably 11, 12 years and decided that wasn't for me and needed to be back in the, in the arts that I had grown up playing music, you know, and uh, saxophone. And so I, uh, um, I got back into the arts and uh, uh, met a bunch of Buddhist people here in Houston that were in the arts (laughs) and they found out that I could sew and I could craft and I started working in the ballet shop and the opera shop and tots and then dressing at night and uh, started a little uh, 20 hour a week gig with Continental Airlines so I could fly for free because I didn't have a lot of money. And then uh, also started an arts organization um, that took arts into the community into underserved communities back in 92. that uh, we would go into places that art didn't exist and these kids were hungry for it, you know? And I did that through um, about about 2010. So, um, uh, or maybe later, but uh, yeah. So that's how I got into the theater industry and uh, I've been in it 32, going on 33 years and it makes me very happy, um, you know, it's that and the art with kids is, is still what I do. That's awesome. Where is this art with kids? Um, I, it was called Dragon's Gate, um, an arts community development system. Big, long title for, for a lot of work. And what we would do is we would gather up. It is, uh, it is now defunct because um, we went in when like Project Row Houses and um, um, Collective, uh, uh, Community Artist Collective, um, Michelle Barnes, we went in like that same year in 92 and uh, Dragonsgate took Fifth Ward, Michelle and Rick took took Third Ward and um, Second Ward and we kind of shared Second Ward and um, we just went in and, and got local artists to come in and go into the schools and the community centers and, um, and um, 
help organ help you know organizations community organizations that were there to help kids like um, AMA the uh, advancement for Mexican Americans um, and uh, uh, Fifth Ward Enrichment uh, which was an all boys organization. The first time I walked in there, I was the only woman out of like a hundred and a hundred and something boys and men, you know, and it was like, wow. oh boy, do they need some estrogen in the room, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and as it turned out, it was a really great group to work with because they, uh, um, the boys that I worked with, uh, the one major consistency I found in all of them was a great love and respect of their mothers and their grandmothers so um so they were always really good to me and uh we made lots of murals all over the city and um as did uh with AMA the first thing the first project we ever did was um uh, and I and I started the organization with my Colombian artist friend Bella Bibliovich and she's now a, a nurse on the front lines up in, up in the Hudson River Valley. Um, but uh, we started a project with AMA with 18 girls who were getting out of gangs. And we actually sat down and talked with a gang and it was very scary. It was facilitated by AMA. But um, you know, they just talked to us about killing people, <laughs> all kinds of stuff and it was, you know, it was very scary. And this is like, and these, these poor girls, um, to go into a gang, you basically get gang raped in and gang raped out, you know, when you go out. And so we were dealing with kids from ages eight to 18. And we did this magnificent, huge mural that the uh, Housing and Urban Development paid us to do on the Masterson YM, uh, YWCA, which is now gone. But um, uh, it was two stories tall and it was, I think like 80 feet on one side and 30 feet on the other. And we were on the bayou and it was tilty and, you know, but it was, um, it was a two year task, but we finished it and had a lot of local artists involved in the, the three Monicas that made Virgin de Guadalupe on the end of it, you know, so it was that sounds amazingly fulfill fulfilling for not only you, but for the people you were outreaching with. Well, it, uh, it was fulfilling. It was also just very heart wrenching to see the situation that some of these kids were in, but Absolutely. it was great to see them come out of it too. Like one of our kids, Quincy, he's the, uh, He's the docent that you say hello to when you go into the Contemporary Arts Museum now. And he's been oh, there. Nice. Yeah. And and he's uh, he's a great artist in his own right, you know, but he's gone digital, you know, he's he's into that. Anyway, Dragonsgate was located um, in the Montrose area um, above Cecil's pub for like 18 years. And um, and I lived up there too. And um, we, we just, you know, fed the community out of there with art. We went into schools that nobody would go into. And we quit because now there's hundreds of organizations doing that. And so, you know, it's like, let's just, let's just turn our, our, ourselves over to young audiences of Houston, who is, um, that's who I work through now. 
And we got them affiliated with some of the prison programs and juvenile programs around the, around the area, like as far down as Richmond and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the drug rehab programs and that sort of thing and got them going in that. And so now I get to do uh, art with K through two uh, over in the Rice University area, you know, oh, and nice. even, even these kids, you know, as little as they are, they've got some issues, but you know, um, it's not as many and it's not as hard to do. And it's more fulfilling for me now, you know, it's, it's my, uh, my karmic payback. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds nice. Well, and I've, I've seen some of the projects you did, uh, those giant puppets that you brought in, that was part of that project, wasn't it? Um, no, that wasn't Dragon's Gate. That was, that was my own interest of Mexican folk art. That's, uh, uh, okay. that, that's my passion. Is I, I sit here and I'm looking over Zoom and I have a velvet painting of cops fighting, you know. Um, this is the art you'll see in my house. <laughs> a lot of folk art and a whole lot of Mexican art. Um, I went down to Mexico. That's why um, as wardrobe supervisor, I had been the only supervisor for the eons, um, unless we had a show that was so large like Mephistopheles that we brought in two to work the show. And um, so I asked the opera, I said, hey, can, can we have another wardrobe supervisor and uh, requested that Madeline come in and um, so I could have a little time off to do that sort of thing, to go down to Mexico for a month and learn how to make puppets from like the second best puppet master in Mexico, you know, so. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, and then the opera actually paid me to, to do it for them. Oh, okay. Well, even better. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> We're hoping to sell them to um, Houston Arts Alliance to be placed in the airport at Hobby uh, with a little story about the, the operas that they, you know, sort of represent the trilogy that we had about the mariachi bands. Well, that's, that's really cool. That would be um, an awesome way of welcoming people into Houston when they're coming through a hobby and, you know, letting them know that we have these great arts institutions here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you've told us how you got started and, and obviously you've transferred that arts experience into working in the theater, but how did you end up at Houston Grand Opera? Um, Houston, back when I started with the union and started working in theater, the um, ballet was pretty much run by the Padilla family. The opera was run by the uh, Freitags. Um, and the Tots was run by um, another family. And um, so I, I would work in the shop during the day and um, this is then this is the God's honest truth. Rhoda was getting very old. She was probably, you know, what the age I am now <laughs> or more. And um, she's in fact 92 or five now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, she's still around. But um, she, um, she was still doing everything the old way. Um, you know, Jill Fokey had come in and she was a fabulous costumer and um, 
Rhoda wasn't ready to, you know, let it go and let change happen. And so they put me in to do one Mozart piece um, over in the small theater during our Mozart series. And, um, and I did that one and um, they just started working me in, you know, uh, as wardrobe supervisor and um, just, I, I think just kind of left her to do laundry and that sort of thing um, until she finally, you know, decided it was time. So, um, so I got, you know, I got my experience. Um, and also I've got to say back when I joined and I started dressing the um, older um, people like Marion Eggers or, um, um, or Rhoda or Pat Padilla um, or Eunice Hall, who was amazing in the shop. Um, they all shared what they knew about theater with us. And then we took it to the next level, you know? That's great. It's uh, nice when older generations share the knowledge. Yes, yes. And it's important. It's really important that that goes on because, you know, just walk in and try to change something. You need to know what is there before you know what you are trying to change. Right. You know? So, yeah, so it's important to share, you know, how the structure is, how it's built. And I've, I've been a supervisor for, um, not for Tots, but I've been a dresser at Tots, but um, I've dressed everything, Broadway, Tots, SPA, um, Symphony, you know, everything opera and ballet but um i uh have supervised actually broadway and um opera and ballet and uh they're all three very different um partly because of the organizational structures but all uh, the main thing is just the craft itself you know there's a, a big difference between a a two pound tutu and a a 30 pound. <laughs> yeah, right. Definitely. Yeah. It changes your workout. Right. Or, uh, or, you know, Phantom of the Opera, you know, capes and stuff like that. Um, or the wicked uh, quick change into, you know, a 30 pound black dress at the end of the show in, in less than a minute, you know, that sort of thing. Right. So they're all very different. And, and that's why I say, it's great to bring the new people in, you know, great. To, like, I love having Madeline come in, you know, and I'm going to try to share with her as much as I can, you know? Absolutely. Um, maybe when I leave, you know? <laughs> she can, so yeah. for, for folks who don't know what a wardrobe supervisor is, what is, what is a wardrobe supervisor? A wardrobe supervisor is a technician. Um, it has very little to do with art. It has a great deal to do with organize. Uh, what happens, the whole process that happens is um, we get a show, we get a designer, they design the clothing. Um, our shop is a building shop. So often they build the clothing um, if it's a new show. Um, sometimes we rent pieces but those pieces come in, they get altered. And as soon as everything has been fit and altered and we're ready to go on stage, it comes to from the shop to the Wortham. 
and um, the wardrobe supervisor organizes it into the room. They make sure that all the pieces are there um, and, and ready, be it in the room or be it on stage for a quick change um, and that they're accounted for for every show. Um, they make sure that they are repaired between shows, um, that they are, uh, we used to call it washed or cleaned. Now we call it sanitized because of COVID. We literally have to um, go through bottles of Everclear um, to be able to sanitize everything. And, um, and we'll talk about that later. You know, it's like, whew, that's yeah. a whole ball game now. Um, but anyway, and then uh, uh, during the show, uh, we run the crew that dresses the show. Uh, we keep them apprised of any um, changes that have gone on, uh, either during rehearsal, if a director decides to change how something's worn or looks or when it comes on or add or delete something, we, we advise them of that. We keep um, and keep up with keeping all those pieces in the right place, you know, as the changes go on during rehearsal. Um, we uh, make sure that we have wardrobe plots and in, in, um, the opera and ballet, not so much. Um, you rely pretty much on the dancers knowing what they wear and um, where they put it on, um, except for Nutcracker. It's pretty organized like wardrobe um, in, in the- uh, That's such a huge show. There's no way to do it without organization. <laughs> it is, and most operas are huge shows, you know? So, um, so that's the similarity there. It literally gets, like some of our shows get set up uh, quick change wise upstairs like Broadway shows. We introduced the corral method, you know, of, um, of doing your gondolas backstage and um, all of that. From, from my experience on Broadway, I shared that with the opera and the ballet and got them going on that. Actually, Jerry Wolf brought it into the ballet because he was out with um, Le Mis and Phantom for decades. Um, all shows that nobody's ever heard of, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, I think Lemez had the most costume pieces. Um, I could be, I could be lying here, but um, at that point in time when it was out, it, it perhaps had most of the, the the most costume pieces of any show on Broadway. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and then so we keep the show running. We keep things clean. We spend a lot of time in the laundry room and organizing stuff and making sure it's all pressed and pretty and you know, all the buttons are on and the zippers are in and, um, you know, the corset boning's not coming out and poking somebody and, you know, all kinds of little details, you know, that the rubbers are on the bottom of the shoes and, you know, so somebody doesn't slip and fall on stage. What we do is make sure uh, by doing all of that prep and, um, and rehab during, in between each show, we are making sure that that performer is safe when they walk on stage because costumes can really, really be a hazard on stage. Um, Absolutely. Especially when they've got on giant dresses and they're climbing over, you know, big, big buffet tables and standing on top of them full of, you know, 
props that look like food and giant roasted pigs and that sort of thing, you know? So I um, those on the stage, you know, which is like this, this black crumbly stuff that comes up to their ankles, you know, and, and gets all in their dresses. And then, I mean, we had black crumb around the theater forever after song. That stuff was a nightmare. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but, um, but that's a safety issue, you know, to make sure that, that everything like, so they don't step on a um, a ruffle of a hem that is is torn and we didn't get that hem back in. It's also the dresser's responsibility to help us out with that and kind of look at the clothes every night when they are hanging them up. And it's also the performer's responsibility to say I'm stepping on my dress or my pant hem came out or, you know, I ripped the bottom out of my pants. Um, we get a lot of emergency repairs during shows. Um, stuff like that with the, the men's clothes that fit more closely usually. Um, so we do all that. Then when the show comes down, we <laughs> clean the whole show, via uh, delineating with the costume assistant, what goes into dry cleaning, what goes into ozone, um, what goes into the laundry, washing machine, dryer, what goes into hand wash, um, and then, so that just destroys any organization we had for the show. So then right. we get it all clean, get it all back together and reorganize it as to how it's either going to go back to the warehouse and be packed out to ship over to the next location that it's going to be performed or just be hung in the warehouse for future, you know, use. So that's, uh, that's the rundown, pretty thorough, I think, of what, can you think of anything else, Madeline? Uh, not really. I like to tell people that, that I'm always like, oh, yeah, I'm a wardrobe supervisor. And they're like, oh, my gosh, that sounds so glamorous. And I'm like, yeah, if you like laundry. <laughs> um, I describe my, my 10 or less word job description is uh, I've seen everybody in their underwear and I have vodka on me at all times because I've seen everybody in their underwear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always great when you're like, oh yeah, I use vodka at work. And they're like, are you getting drunk? And you're like, no, you don't want to drink this stuff. <laughs> Our boss worries a lot about, um, about people drinking the vodka. And I tell her not to worry, not to worry. This, they drink it, they die right there on the spot. We, you know? It's that, that cheap. <laughs> yeah, I always tell people, they're like, oh, there's vodka? And I'm like, yeah. Do you want your stomach to bleed? I actually had a singer that had a little bit of a sore throat one time. And, um, uh, or, or mucus on her tonsils, as she called it. <laughs> you know, and, and she said, you know, usually I just have like a little shot of booze. And I went, well, I've got the vodka, but, you know. And she goes, can I try it? And she put it instead of, instead of, you know, a big spray, she put it on direct and she shot her tonsil with it. <laughs> Fixed her tonsil. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is uh, good for stripping your interior. Right? Like a little gargle. But if it does that to your tonsil, just think, you know. Can it be yeah, you said it was Everclear, right? Well, now it is because it had to be 70%. The stuff that we were using before was oh, 80 to 90% uh, proof, which means it's like half that alcohol. Um, 
but now Everclear is, you know, it's, it's over 70%. Yeah. Out. So yeah, we're going to that now. Yeah. We have to up the uh, sanitation power because of COVID. Yeah. Totally understandable. Uh, well, which actually, actually I don't think we said what the vodka is used for. Oh yeah. <laughs> We spray all the clothes with it because um, the sweat that, that goes, uh, these clothes are very heavy and we, uh, we put out t-shirts and stuff for people to wear under them. Um, but um, needless to say, it's just a little barrier. Um, and so all of the heavy costumes that we can't, like the shirts we'll throw in the washer and you know things that are washable, we we will wash those every two or three shows. Um, but um, unless we've got in principles, we wash every show. But uh, the uh, heavier outer parts of the costume, we tend to uh, get kind of stinky, and they tend to get kind of stinky in the pits and stuff. So we go through and we spray inside the clothing and the vodka actually has this wonderful ability to take the odor and evaporate it into the air pretty good. Yeah, it's actually great. I tell people like, oh yeah, you have a, something you don't want to wash or your shoes smell at home, get yourself a really cheap bottle of vodka and put a spray top on it. Exactly, it works, works fabulous. What we're learning with the um, Everclear, which is so much stronger, uh, because it has to kill virus and we spray so much more. We spray the outside of the, we spray every surface of the costume that we can get to um, and leave it sit overnight. Um, and so uh, the only thing we're learning though is like some painted leathers and that sort of thing um, that will, the Everclear will make them run. So oh. we have to be very careful, have to do a little test if we're not sure. Yeah, which that was always tricky in the first place, but at least the vodka didn't really cause issues for the most part. Right. And we don't mix ours with water. Some people mix theirs with water, but it destroys the evaporation. <laughs> so what's the purpose? The point. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so um, I want to start asking you some questions about IATSE, because as we said in your intro, you are currently the business agent for the local uh, 896, which is specifically the wardrobe union here in Houston. Um, so can you talk to us a bit about like what IATSE is, what it does in the area, and why it matters that there's a wardrobe union specifically? Absolutely. Um, it's actually a wardrobe and hair and makeup union. Um, and uh, IATSE is uh, a very old, I was, I've been taking some classes um, while we've been on, while we've had time to do it, while we've had time off COVID. Uh, it's one of the good parts of COVID. I've been able to, to get a little education, but um, IATSE actually formed in the early 1900s before the AFL-CIO did. And it, um, it's that old. And our union here locally, and it's the International Association of Stage and Theatrical Employees. And that's everybody that works backstage um, to support the, um, the actors and performers and uh, musicians. 
um, that are front and on stage. Um, we uh, make up, you know, the carpenters, the lighting technicians, the sound technicians, the wardrobe technicians and crew, um, um, the video people, and they're getting a lot of work now. <laughs> um, film, um, just any aspect that goes on behind the scenes, IATSE is, is that organization. Um, it's international. Uh, we have, we are local 896 here in Houston and Galveston. Mm -hmm. We represent both Houston and Galveston. Um, there's the 1894 Grand Opera House in Galveston, which produces um, smaller shows because it's, an, it's really the 1894 Opera House. It's really beautiful and it has three, I think 300 seats. And um, it's got a tiny stage, but we could actually put the regular set from um, the Follies on there. It was amazing to me what they can get on that stage <laughs> and what they can get in that tiny, it's about a, a, a four car loading dock. <laughs> it's amazing oh, wow. the truck they can get in there and the equipment they can get in there. But, um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's been run um, by a Gal an old Galveston family for years and so, um, so we do work down there every now and then if they get a larger Broadway show in. But uh, most of their shows are small. Um, we represent, we have contracts with um, Theater Under the Stars um, and they're out of the Hobby Center. So we also, we don't have a contract with the Hobby Center but we do supply any crew that they need for um, any of the shows that they produce in that venue. Um, in the small theater or the big theater, the Seraphim or the, um, um, can't remember the name of the other one, um, <laughs> the Hobby Center. <laughs> um, we also have a contract with Society for the Performing Arts and they do a few Broadway shows every year, coupled a few, and then they have um, speakers, ballet companies, uh, dance companies, um, internationally and US, um, they, have, uh, they have a variety, a total variety. And we have to really go in each time and figure out what's going on with that and help them, you know, figure out what kind of crew is needed for the show because it's not always specified when it comes in. Um, we have uh, contracts for the shop and uh, dressing contracts with Houston Ballet. Um, we provide all of their um, building and dressing needs um, and supervising needs. Um, we have a contract with the opera. We have um, issued also what we call uh, letters of agreement LOAs um, with individual organizations when they come through, like Diana Ross, when she comes through, she requests us, okay? Or her supervisor, if she comes through with another performer that's gonna play NRG, you know? 
or Minute Maid Park, something like that, they will request us to dress the show. Um, we dre we've dressed Miley Cyrus and people like that at the rodeo, you know. Um, we have dressed um, performers who came in uh, for the Astros Gala, you know. Um, we, um, we get uh, organizations like um, the Asia Society when they produced a Bollywood, uh, when they uh, were the producers for a Bollywood group that came in, they called us. Um, so, and sometimes we help out a non-union group called Upstage Center. Um, uh, if they have a need, if they have a big Broadway show like Kinky Boots or when the ballet during Harvey had to go out to Sugarland, um, they called us in to dress the show because that's more our expertise. What they do is more like Bayou center rock and roll type productions. And sometimes they will reach out to us just very quickly and say, hey, can you walk across from the Wortham Center to the Bayou Center and jump in and help us out? We're over our heads, you know? Um, so we're, we're highly respected. We've been around for 50 years and um, <clears throat> I've been a member for almost 25 years, almost half that time. Um, and uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been business agent, this, I'm going on my th uh, third term, so I've been business agent for six years now, and we just had our elections, and um, we have uh, the president and the business agent were reelected, the vice president, secretary, and secretary treasurer stepped down, so we have new people coming in there, we have uh, a representative from Galveston, uh, to be uh, Robert Zahn, to be our vice president, and then um, one of our members who does um, mostly Broadway. Sometimes he comes in and helps with the opera, um, Isidro Rodriguez. He um, is going to be our secretary, and then uh, Dawn Theaker, who does a lot of work for us at the opera, she's going to be our secretary treasurer. And then our board of uh, trustees, uh, Christina Maley um, and uh, Lynn Fredrickson stayed um, and were reelected on the board of trustees. And we added Roderick Randall who dresses for the ballet and the opera and um, everybody. And he's an actor, a father, a UPS. A person, how does he have time? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like he, he, this, these are things that are important to him. And the thing that excites me about our new board is that um, we're bringing in young people, new young people, you know, and um, as business agent for that union, my focus has been to get more young members and to get them active. You have to have two years in good standing with the union to be able to run for office. And so we're starting to see, after six years, we're starting to see some of that come to fruition. Um, we had uh, some new members for the last, uh, the last six years um, participate in committees and that sort of thing. And that's how you learn what goes on in the union and, and how you can, and what you're interested in, you know, because if you're not interested in it, 
then you're not going to do a very good job. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we tried to, uh, like I say, we've lowered our, um, our initiation fee to nothing (laughs) hardly, you know, and, um, we paid everybody's dues for the year, you know, this year because we didn't, and, and we actually put a hiatus on membership because, um, I didn't, we didn't want, our union didn't want people spending that hundred dollar application fee to New York, you know, when, when we couldn't provide them work. And so I said, hold that thought, you know, I, we want you, um, just hold that thought and we will just have like this, you know, kind of a cult thing, you know, (laughs) just this mass influx and initiation after we can go back to work and I can call people. That's actually really great that you guys um, want it to be worth people's time and and money to join up and you're not just bringing people in when you can't actually give them any work. It's it's hard enough for people to, um, one of the things about doing union work, okay, is, um, or theater work for that matter, it's feast or famine. You know, and you really have to know how to manage your money in between or have more than one job going, you know, because it can be very much like gig work. It's not really gig work, it's seasonal work, but um, because you can depend on a certain season, you get, you start working in a certain area, then you know what your schedule is going to be and you start, you know, filling in your open parts of your schedule with other shows and that sort of thing. Also availability, being available to work a show um, because the shows might get filled higher up on the list. There's a seniority list for our calling house. And that's what I oversee um, is the calling list. And um, so I have to go down that list when a show contacts me and um, I have, we have to go. I've actually um, started uh, use utilizing calling agents and um, that way it gives me more time to sit and review the call and make sure it's correct than to actually do the business of calling them and and it also gives me time to keep an eye, um, an eye on our contracts and make sure they're being followed which is the business of the business agent so I'm, I'm sharing my work with um, other people and also believe that it will help train other people to be able to take over that position in the future, you know? Absolutely. Um, and what would you say to people? Because as you said, there's a seniority list. So most people would then assume that pretty much only the top part of the list gets all of the shows. So what would you say to people who have that impression? Okay, that is that is somewhat true, but not completely true. Um, the people at the, we have, we have a hundred or so people on our list, about 70 of them have numbers, which means that you have worked at least three shows or three venues, and you have received a number which gives you a permanent spot on the active list. Now, a lot of the people that are higher up on that list have they really don't work um or they only work in the shop or they will only work a broadway show because it's down dirty and quick and you can make a lot of money in a week um and they uh 
don't work a ballet because you only work three or four shows in a week. And, um, and I will say out loud, the ballet is the lowest paying in, in our industry here in Houston. Um, and they don't work opera because, oh my gosh, sometimes we only work one show a week, you know? Um, sometimes we work three shows a week, you know, <laughs> three or four. So um, according to whether you're in rehearsal or not, but opera um, is one of the better paying and um, it does have a, a loyalty um, um, bump to it that if you have worked, I believe it's, huh, listen to me quote the contract. I haven't looked at that in a while. I haven't had to call people in a while. Um, but you, if you have worked, I think it's six or more shows with the opera, then you're considered a senior dresser. So you get paid a little bit more than a, a regular dresser. Um, well, and they probably have some loyalty too, because I know from personal experience, they're actually a really great company to work for as well. I, I, I'm a little biased, I will say, but I also will say they're the only company here in Houston that I see um, investing any time into what their working culture is about and letting the board know that and what the, the um, you know, um, the, having an, an EDI committee um, and ensuring that there's some equity and some, um, you know, diversity and um, and making sure that inequalities aren't aren't being aren't running rampant, you know, in the opera. So um, I think they're really at the leadership of that. They are also um, one of the highest paying companies for us, and they have great concerns and take care of all of their people, not just their staff um, and not just their performers, but also they have a great deal of respect for their unions. And um, at the end of uh, the season, when uh, COVID hit, they were the one organization that including the union people that were working for them at the time um, or worked for them regularly um, they said, look, we're going to pay you half of what you would have made, you know, um, towards the end of the season, because you had no idea this was coming. We had no idea this was coming. We're not going to be spending the money. We'd budgeted it and, you know, we can afford to do this. So we're going to pay, you know, those of you who don't have it in your contract, we're going to pay you anyway, you know? So, um, and they were the first one to come up and say that um, they weren't gonna request a wage freeze, you know? Uh, Society for the Performing Arts signed a brand new contract and an increase with us, you know? Um, the ballet went with the wage freeze, Broadway still hasn't settled with us, you know? So we're still working on that. Um, Tots didn't request a wage freeze, you know? Uh, there's uh, so those are good. I'm sorry, I got a little off track there. No, 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 no. it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who sidetracked you. <laughs> but uh, back to the call list. Um, so, so yes, people will take various calls um, up on the top of the list, and sometimes, I mean, you, I, I never really can quite, you know, get a pulse on it completely. Um, but people like when you get down to about 
the 40s or the 50s, you know, and, and the numbering system of seniority. That's when availability, if you're down below that number, that's when availability starts to really come into play. If you were able to take most any call that comes along and able to work your schedule around it, um, then, or you're able to jump in and fill in on a call on a regular basis, you know, because sometimes we have people who get sick or, you know, have a child that gets sick or whatever that we have to replace for a night or two. Um, and if you can fill in those positions quickly, like literally within an hour or something, you know, like I'm going to call you and say, Hey, um, then you become someone who uh, is viewed as dependable and um, and able to work and have the has the ability to jump in and do most any kind of show. And then those calls will start opening up to you more. And it's not that you're chosen. It's just that you um, are available. That's all it amounts to. And then the more you work, the more you get into a niche of working on a certain in certain venues. And like at the opera, we do accept requests from the um, artist because of the, you know, because of we were, we uh, don't do that with Broadway. Um, we do that with the ballet and with the opera, just because of the type of work they it, their their routine is so rigorous when they're on stage that if they have a a person that they're really comfortable with you know that they can just be themselves with and not have to worry about that then we're like yes you can have that person dress you that's not a problem I so those um, people have been dressing specific actors for quite a while now haven't they yes they have um um i I got such a kick that opera's been doing um, these videos and uh, on the impresario, it's, it was adapted to a modern day COVID scene. And um, I got to do a little walk on in my Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, uh, mask. And, and you could actually tell it was an RBG mask because it, had, it was black with lace on the top of it um, that just really stuck out. But Lauren, the director, really loved that. She's like, Judy, is that an RBG mask? I love it. <laughs> and so she got it's not in the show, it's it's the beginning of the show where they finally come across um, with Empresario, but Dottie, the wig uh, master, and myself, we both got in it. But uh, uh, they uh, um, at the end of Empresario, they showed all of these opera singers and and i was amazed i was just like looking at them going oh my god i've i've dressed i've dressed all those people <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like you start looking at it you know and it's like and it's been fun doing the recitals and stuff with people because i've dressed them all at a certain point in time you know or they've been in our studio you know and i've been around a long time so a lot of them were in studios when I was there. So, and you become particularly close with your studio. I call them my studio kids. I always have, you know. 
So you're talking about the Houston Grand Opera going virtual, and we've uh, talked a little bit about some Everclear, but what other uh, changes has, has have happened in your world because of the pandemic? Um, the pandemic, um, work-wise, it's just phenomenal the way we do things. I've worked uh, from a union standpoint on Zoom, helping develop a safety plan to go back to work with each organization that we do business with, um, which so far we've only developed, we, we sit on a committee, um, the opera actually developed a, a safety and health committee and Larissa Lindsay from the union sits on that. Um, <clears throat> The uh, TOTS group, we simply discussed with them over Zoom. And however, they are, I believe they're under the Methodist umbrella too. I'm not positive. But Methodist Hospital has been um, the epidemiology group here in Houston that has just been a force um, in helping us us and, and the sports teams create a safe return to work because under OSHA standards, the employer is required to provide us a safe working condition right. and that they have to provide us all the PPE. Um, we have to wear masks. We have to wear a face shield. Um, I even wear a little Shimada type cover with pockets over it to cover my, um, and I wear my apron behind me with just few minimal things in it that I know which pocket they're in and I can just reach back and get them blindly. Um, and I, I try to cover up a bit to, um, and, and keep a spray bottle in my pocket so that I can spray my hands in case I have to go from one performer to the next rapidly. Um, but uh, that way I can take that Shimada off at the end of the day, I can, throw it in the wash, you know, my apron's been behind me. I just lay it on the desk and spray it real good or hang it up and spray it real good. Wipe my mask. And well, we get a new mask every day because after you've had one of those on for a few hours, they're a little, little soggy. Yeah. A little yucky. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the face shields, we reuse those. So we clean those off every day and hang them to dry at night. Um, and and, and just, I mean, it is very surprising that um, after you've completed, you know, anywhere from an eight to 10 hour day or a six to 10 hour day for that matter, even, even with a, an hour lunch break, you know, where you have taken your, your PPE off and not sprayed your hands for the first time in hours um, and just washed them with soap and put some, put some lotion on them, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, the, uh, just the relief of, of taking all of that off is everybody just wants to run outside, you know, and go, <gasps> you know, it's, yeah, but we have, uh, it's all set up backstage with the safety stuff that we've developed through IATSE and, um, the local organizations that we are developing. It's all set up where you have your own chair, you have your own space. There's only certain places you can go in the theater that you're allowed. Um, there's only certain people that you have direct contact with. 
Um, and when you do go from place to place, you go a certain way so that, you know, there is, and you wear, like the performers are not required to wear a mask on stage, but right. they do have to wear a mask and uh, goggles um, to and from the dressing rooms. Inside the dressing rooms, they do not have them on. That's why we're, we have the shield to help protect us more. Um, and um, we are up close and personal with them, you know. Sure. Uh, fixing stuff, and <laughs> you know, yeah. making sure that, that their costumes are, you know, all prepped and in the right way. Um, um, continuity, continuity for film. Right. Uh, and find myself sitting back taking pictures, like when they stop, just click a picture with my camera, you know, on, on my phone to make sure I know exactly what they looked like, you know? Right. Back up again, we know. Um, but then personally, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been a blessing and a curse. Um, the bad part has been because of my age and because of COVID, um, I have, and it's not just COVID, but I think it's associated with COVID and that people are just getting a little crazier out there on the streets. And um, I, have, I have lost nine people. Uh, they have died, you know, and my 21-year-old cat. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So um, my saving grace has been yard work. And, and getting stuff organized in my house. I've been in this house three years. I still have not unpacked boxes from six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gotten all of those unpacked and I have organized, um, a, I, I have studio space in the house. I'm in my office right now, but this is also the library where I keep all the art books for library um, purposes and, and teaching purposes. And um, then I have the shed out back where I have tile work and things like that. I do I have a gardening bench in the back. And so then I took half of my garage, which is a two-car garage, and put my big cutting table out there. And, um, and now it's all draped with some Ikea curtains that I had that I wasn't using. And thank there was a reason I never got rid of those, you know? <laughs> Right <laughs> out there, all draped around in that one garage um, door hanger thing, and uh, they make my studio space for videoing the things for the kids. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. So I've done. I've uh, I've gone through all those boxes, organized everything. Um, the other day, I did a a, a project. I found in the bottom of the closet when I was cleaning, you know, organizing the coats for winter over the spring, I mean, over the weekend. And um, uh, I went, oh, look, there's that, that, that Guatemalan um, bedspread that I was gonna fix for my ex-husband, David, you know? <laughs> I whipped out the embroidery thread and realized it was a mess. So as I was laying on the sofa watching TV, I had all the embroidery thread on top of me, you know, un unknotting it and winding it onto little, so all that's organized. And it's just been that kind of thing, you know? It's like, I'm not one that can just sit. Um, 
Right. So now I have, uh, I've organized like a studio and I have built some, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five, six flower beds. And oh my I goodness. Put a French drain in, I laid some stones. I got free bricks from the recycling center up on North Main, uh, Houston Recycling, that were from Fitzgerald's nonetheless. And um, which is a, a great old music bar venue here that got torn down. And uh, um, I took all of those and made uh, a little patio out by the two garden beds in the back. And some friends gave me their 1950s patio furniture for my 1950s house. And awesome. so I got the rest off of it and sprayed it turquoise and called it a day. And so now I have patio furniture in the yard. And I built a fire pit, learned how to lay some bricks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Most recently, I got a piece of metal for the top of that because, like I say, my love for Mexican folk art. Um, I I got my uh, my old saws all out and my uh, angle grinder and and cut it down and got it into an oval shape. And now I'm going to paint it with a you know like a, a Day of the Dead skull on top of it for my fire cover pit. That's so awesome. <laughs> and keep insane, you know, and getting a tiny bit of exercise for all the ice cream that I eat at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have at least one more question for you, uh, okay. which is uh, to ask you about Action Builder. Ah, Action Builder. Yes. Um, I ought see when, um, hmm, did we start that pre-pandemic? I can't remember. Um, it was the first part of the year. So I, I kind of think it was coincidental with the pandemic. Um, and honestly, um, when we say pandemic, Madeline, the show you were doing um, with Jamie Barton and Lawrence Brown, where everybody got sick. Oh yeah, uh, La Favorite. La Favorite, yeah, I, we had never done that one before, La Favorite. I am honestly wondering now if that wasn't our first bout with COVID because you know, I've been wondering that too because we all had to wear um, masks for like the last week or two of of the shows because everybody was dropping and we all just assumed it was the flu. Yeah, we assumed it was the flu, but you know, steroids are one of the treatments for COVID, and that's automatically what they give singers when singers get sick you know, with something like that, with anything, you know, that affects their lungs. Right. So um, it could, it could have been, I don't know, I, I'd be very curious when I see Larry Brownlee, you know, to say, hey, did you get an antibody test? You know, do you think that was flu or COVID or what, you know? Um, but anyway, we started Action Builder um, and uh, we were able to utilize it. It may have been coincidental with, um, with, uh, with the pandemic, I, I believe it was, I think that's why they started it. Um, but it was um, a few test unions and Houston was one of them. Um, and um, there's Philadelphia, um, there's West Coast uh, uh, up in Oregon and Washington. Um, there's, um, 
uh, Austin has joined us, Dallas. Um, there's, there's several different unions all over the country. Some of them are huge and cover various states. And then, you know, we're probably one of the tiny ones. Uh, <laughs> we have like 40 plus members and, um, but we have 150 on our list, somewhere around that number, um, including the um, overhire and the pool um, of people who, who haven't worked shows or anything. Um, the overhire have worked a show, but the pool have not worked a show. Um, so um, the action builder um, listed, we would get a list. Um, we submitted a list to the international and then they uh, put it into the action builder program for us and it would give us a name. <clears throat> And um, they plugged in the address of the people that we had given them, the email, the telephone number. And so it was a way of an organized way for us to have um, a list of people um, that we of our not just our members, but people who worked um, in our area um, so that we could divide it up amongst a group of us in our various unions and start contacting these people and saying, hey, how are you doing? Is there, um, you know, are you, are, did you file for unemployment? It's been very difficult. We know some tricks on how to get through that unemployment. Um, you know, line uh, and and these are some numbers that you can call. And when you fill out certain things, be sure and check the pandemic box so that you get the extra money, uh, be sure. And, you know, so we were able to help people get their unemployment um, more effectively. Um, then we also uh, were able to help people who needed food. You know, it's like we would, we made sure that we had a list of where food was being given out every day, you know, and uh, published that on our 896 website. So you could go there anytime and, um, and find out on a weekly basis, you know, what was going on with, with giving away food because um, after the uh, um, unemployment started to dwindle, people were becoming uh, you know, it was a toss up whether you'd pay a bill or buy food. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah. so um, they were being put into that position for the first time, but uh, for a lot of them, the first time. And um, they found that, you know, there were so many emotions tied up with it. But because we had Action Builder, they had actually somebody that they could call um, that they weren't maybe. It was somebody they knew really well that they worked with, you know, and talked to at work a lot and became friends with, or maybe it was somebody that they were just getting to know, but they felt like they could share that information with, you know, and um, that that person was there to give them a hand to, to, you know, to give them a shoulder to lean on, you know. This sounds so, like such a great program. Well, it is, it truly is. And it's, um, we have, uh, we also, through that program, 
um, like I say, we, we categorized people into, are you an activist or you, you just don't want to be bothered. That's okay. You know, we're not going <laughs> to bug you <laughs> or do you have a situation that we can help you with? That would be critical. Or like one of our dressers, um, Rob Babbitt, his mom, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic got cancer. She's 94, had surgery to remove part of it. They found out it was metastasized and she's been at home in hospice since then. And he's been taking care of her, you know, him and his brother. And yeah, yeah. You know, I, uh, but he, I've been, you know, keeping in touch with him because I've known Rob for 40 years. So um, not that he's that old, he's barely that old. <laughs> he's an old dancer, choreographer, director, uh, stage manager. I mean, he's done it all dressed. He's, he's an amazing dresser. Actually, we should see if we can get him on because I know he has some cool stories. Oh, you know what? He doesn't have any uh, capability with the computer or anything. Uh, okay. It would be amazing if you could, you know, <laughs> even do a picture of him and, and if he had time to talk on the phone, you know, but he doesn't really have a lot of time since he's taking care of his mom. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. I get an hour out of him on the phone every now and then. You could probably do a phone picture thing with him. And well, that would be nice. That'd I be think nice. it'd be a great distraction for him too. And we've heard that from a, another friend of mine on the East Coast who's going through something similar. And I was like, well, I know this is not a good time. She goes, oh, no, I really need the distraction. So yeah. if it is something that, you know, somebody wants to have a little bit of time to just banter back and forth with us, you know, that's great too. I would, yeah, Rob would be terrific. He would be absolutely terrific. I, if you want Madeline, I'll, I'll approach him on it and give him your number and everything. Yeah, that, that would be great. Cause yeah, I, as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard some of his stories and they are wild. <laughs> he's got a, he's a great storyteller too. Yeah. And he's dressed everybody, everybody. And he remembers every little detail of dressing. <laughs> uh, but um, you're talking about distraction. Like I called um, uh, a mom who's homeschooling who, whose kid is on video and in first grade I think which that's really young to be on video all day um and she talked to me for an hour and a half while her kid was schooling and Max I know her kid and Some you know we're just starving for that interaction and she that's was. She needed adult interaction because she's home with Max all day and she's dealing with school all day. And I told her, I said, Heather, just text me anytime if you need a Max distraction and I'll call you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's part of why we wanted to do this, but go ahead. But um, the other thing Action Builder does is because we have everybody's addresses, we overlaid and our situation here in Houston being flood zone area, hurricanes, and good Lord, could we have any more hurricanes this year? Actually, there's one out there right now. <laughs> right, I'm like, it's 2020, it's not over yet. So bite your tongue, please. No. <laughs> yeah, it, um, um, we made a map, a flood control map, so that we know who's in what areas that are prone to flood. 
So when we'd hear there was a hurricane coming, we'd say, hey, how you doing? Are you okay? Do you need, you know, anything that we can get over there before it floods, you know, whatever. And people would take time to do that. Um, we just tried to make, I mean, I started calling it like, you know, just a big old phone tree because some people were a little leery of connecting and giving information and that sort of thing. And it's like, no, nobody's, nobody's trying to, to do anything. It's just like, we're just, it's just a big old, if you think about a phone tree, you know, like, like, you yeah. know, I don't know, like how you grew up, but if you, if you <laughs> grew up like in a, a church with a Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, you know, exactly, you know, or the ladies organizations, you know, when, um, when my mom was, was young, you know, it's like they had their phone trees, you know, or the soccer moms or the, you know, scouting. Yeah. The scouting, you know, it's like, that's all it is. It's just a big old phone tree. And, um, and the activists, then we could get them involved, the people who were active. We got involved in calling the senators, going to city council and, you know, getting, getting them to hear us. Um, yeah. You really right don't know how much they hear you. But I had an experience where we um, went down to the GRB, the, the mayor was gonna speak about the new ventilation system they were putting in the GRB and uh, hope for uh, going back to conventions and stuff there, you know, right after the first of the year. And so we said, okay, it's an opportunity to roll our cases out. And the city did red lights on the theater district and um, which was an interesting color choice um but, but they uh did that and um oh probably i don't it was, know the red lights were because of the red alert yeah red alert and right. so did it on that day and uh designated for houston and um we rolled them from the grb and they're probably i don't know 75 or 100 of us out there it was a big long line and the mayor uh was just across from Barb and Lisa and I, and he came over and he started talking to us. I said, I introduced myself, told him this, my name, what union I was with, and which I had said many times on city council telephone. And, um, and I said, I've talked to you a whole lot lately about uh, rent relief and about eviction moratorium. And he goes, yes, you have. And you're very persistent. <laughs> I remember you. They do listen to, you know, and so we've done that with our state senators. They've been very helpful getting people who can't get through to unemployment. They put their name on a, a list and give it to unemployment. And by golly, you can get in and talk to somebody on a phone. And we've done it federally. We've done some, um, <laughs> we've done some drive-bys for Ted Cruz and, and John Cornyn, but that has been very productive. Um, uh, but at least we made ourselves known, you know, to them. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and so that's that's what Action Builder has been up to and kind of what it is. And it's developing as we go, you know. So um, so now I, I know I have a better feel for what types of things people are interested in. And I think it's um, helped our union 
be more of a force. We've, we've figured out that like right now we're looking at putting a person on what they're calling the, um, um, it's a group that has to do with floods, but actually it has to do with how funds are given out in Houston. Um, and uh, so we, we wanna sit on that group. We wanna have a rep on that group to be able to have input because our theater workers are gonna be impacted by this for a long time, a oh, very long time, sure. you know? And I'm telling you this month is gonna be disastrous. I know, I know, you're, you're gonna be hurting from it bad. Yeah. One of the things that, um, that Mike Eisner with 51 thought about, and that was um, the Toys for Tots, you know? And so he's, his, he just got voted in as vice president because the vice president of 51 was one of the first people to pass with COVID um, when we first started this program. So um, uh, the action builder thing. But um, so Mike Eisner got voted in as vice president. And first thing he's gonna do is uh, toys for tots and we're putting it out to all of our members and just having them deliver the toys to one of the local houses for one of the action builder people right and then they can all bring them in then you'll have four or five people instead of instead of a hundred people you know <laughs> right or five people bringing all these toys into the union hall you know to limit contact and that sort of thing right on the 12th so um yeah yeah it's, uh, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I am so glad that we did this with you. We've learned so much about our community and the activism and, and Judy, you've just been a force and a leader here in Houston. I'm so impressed. And so, so glad that you came on the show with us. Houston's an easy city to work in. It's, it's ready. It's, it's got its hands out just going, Hey, come do something. You know, it's, it's really easy. I really appreciate what you all are doing. Um, I think it's an amazing thing, Ruth. And um, uh, I love working with Madeline at the opera. <laughs> She's such a breath of fresh air. Um, so um, I really thank you all for giving me the opportunity to share and say hi to everybody out there. Please feel free to call me if you're interested in knowing more about the union at 281-686-5548. Uh, there you go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Check out our website at feedthecrewpodcast.com for more information, as well as links to all of our episodes, bulletins, and social media. When you're hungry for inspiration, information, friends, and laughter, join us. Join us. Join us on Feed the Crew. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Check out our website at feedthecrewpodcast.com for more information, as well as links to all of our episodes, bulletins, and social media. When you're hungry for inspiration, information, friends, and laughter, join us. Join us. Join, join us. us on Feed the Crew.